It would take a long time to describe Midnight's journey and all the terrible country that he passed through and all the times that he nearly died of thirst and nearly got speared by black people and nearly got bogged forever after in the sand. After a month of great hardships, he reached the hills where he'd grown up and had come quite near his cottage in the forest when a voice called from the bush, Stand and deliver! It is a bush ranger, whispered Cat, and he and Jip and Major jumped quickly out of the coach windows and hid. Midnight reached for his pistol, but he'd no sooner raised it than a bullet knocked it out of his hand. You haven't a chance, said the voice. Get down from the box and stand in the road with your hands up. Midnight was very unwilling to be shot dead when he'd come so close to Miss Laura, so he thought it best to do what the voice told him. A long, thin bush ranger, with a handkerchief over his face, came out of the bush and poked Midnight in a friendly way with his pistol. You don't understand, said Midnight to the bush ranger. What don't I understand? The bush ranger appeared to be laughing a great deal under his handkerchief. You don't understand who I am. Well, who are you? I am a famous bush ranger. I am Captain Midnight. The bush ranger was laughing so hard that he could scarcely stand up, though he still kept his finger on the trigger of his pistol. Will you stop that stupid giggling, said Midnight crossly. I want to tell you a secret, gasped the bush ranger. He put his arm around Midnight and whispered, I am Trooper O'Grady. What? cried Midnight, starting back. I really am, laughed O'Grady. Honour bright. It's not fair, said Midnight, with tears of bitterness in his eyes. I've worked very hard for three years to get all this money, and now you're going to bush-range it from me. Such is life, said O'Grady, which was a famous saying amongst bush-rangers. And to show you what a good friend I am, here's your purse which I bush-ranged from your pocket while I was whispering to you. You can keep the dancing, said Midnight furiously. I don't want it. Don't you really, said O'Grady, dropping the purse in his coat. Well, every little helps. Welcome home, Midnight, dear old chap, and it's good to see you looking so fit. With these words, O'Grady clapped Midnight cheerfully on the shoulder, sprang to the driver's seat of the coach, and rattled away with Midnight's sixteen million pounds. If Midnight had been less strong and more clever, he might have given way to despair after losing all his money and done something silly, like joining the army. But after shedding a few tears, which even a young man of twenty may be pardoned for shedding when it's a question of money, he leapt onto Red Ned's back and rode away to the cottage in the orchard. When he arrived there, he found that the orchard had grown very wild and jungly, and that there was a piece of paper nailed to the door. This at once said, Midnight's property is forfeited to the crown. But the words had been crossed out, and underneath, in red pencil, Midnight read, Welcome home, by order of the Queen, signed the Governor. So you see, said Cat, it has done you good to be a millionaire for a while, even if you're not one now. That's all very well, but it'll not do me much good with Miss Wellborn. 
I think it would be better if she married you while you are poor, for then you can be sure that she loves you. But I wanted her to see me when I was rich. She won't even look at me now. Even my London clothes have been bush-ranged by O'Grady. You must not talk in this bitter and despairing manner. You may be a millionaire again. You have a reef of gold and a fine, hideous house at daybreak. So long as you have these, you have prospects. I do not know exactly what prospects are, but Miss Laura's father will ask you if you have any, and you will be able to say yes. So cheer up and set to work cleaning this cottage, for it is not fit for a cat of royal blood to live in. So Midnight swept the house and pruned and weeded the orchard, and then he and his gang rode off to the hidden valley to find Dora. Just how delighted Dora was to see them after an absence of three years, it would be hardly possible to describe. Midnight was just as pleased as she was, and most surprised to see her calf, who had grown into a grumpy great bull and looked old enough to be her father. After they'd settled in at the cottage, Midnight sent Major with a note to Mrs. Chiffle, asking if he could come to tea with her and explaining that she need not worry about troopers any more because he'd stopped being a bushranger and was a friend of the Queen. Mrs. Chiffle wrote back a happy note saying, Come tomorrow. The next day, Midnight rode up to Mrs. Chiffle's front door and Mrs. Chiffle ran out exclaiming how nice it must be for him to be respectable and not to have to ride his horse in the bush or creep into houses. It made Midnight a bit sad to remember the exciting times that were past. But he agreed with Mrs. Chiffle that it was a good thing to be respectable. And they had tea and talked about the old days when Midnight was a wild colonial boy. At last, Midnight said, And how is Miss Wellborn? Ah, said Mrs. Chiffle with a shake of her head, Poor Laura has never been well since you went away. Not well? I'm most awfully sorry to hear that. She has been so sad, said Mrs. Chiffle. She is quite pale and faded. I wonder why. You wicked Captain Midnight. You know you've stolen her heart. I? Stolen her heart? But she can't abide me. Mrs. Chiffle laughed and laughed. So Laura may pretend, but I am a lady and I know better. I'm astonished, said Midnight with his mouth open. But I'm glad to know this. It may make things easier for me when I ask her to marry me. Oh, you are going to propose, cried Mrs. Chiffle, clapping her hands. How perfect! You must let me help you. You positively cannot do without me. Why, ma'am, I should be pleased to have a lady's advice on this sort of deal, which is rather out of my way. How shall I begin? First, give her presents. Little presents, fruit and flowers, and things of no value. Then, perhaps, one present just valuable enough to make her take notice. And then, you must speak. And say what? 
that you love her, said Mrs. Cheerful. Be strong. She will refuse you, but be strong. If she faints, ignore her. Say, enough of your young lady's nonsense. Sweep her off her feet, Captain Midnight. Do not take no for an answer, for she certainly won't want you to. It will be all over in a minute, if you are only strong. It sounds, ma'am, said Midnight, remarkably like breaking a horse, which comes easily enough to me. That is exactly how it should be, said Mrs. Chiffle. And now go to her with my blessing. Midnight rode away from Mrs. Chiffle's with a very thoughtful face and some quite new thoughts behind it. Miss Laura Wellborn came of an old colonial family which had spent its first winter in the colony camped on a beach inside a china cabinet. Her father was a squatter, that is, he kept a lot of cattle and sheep, and he lived in a big old farmhouse called a homestead. It was a pleasant house, with a pleasant garden, and a pleasant avenue in front of it, where Miss Laura liked to walk. One day, as she was walking in the avenue, she was surprised to see a yellow cow galumphing towards her. On coming nearer, she saw that the cow had a garland of daisies around her horns. The cow came up to Miss Laura, and bowed her head, and Miss Laura took the garland and hung it around her own neck. She said, Thank you, to the cow, and the cow bowed again and galumphed away, looking rather silly and not half so young as she thought she was. How odd, said Miss Laura to herself. The next day as she was walking in the avenue, a sheepdog came trotting up to her with a little basket full of strawberries in his mouth, and laid it down at her feet. He looked up at her for a moment with a face that was half laughing and half worried, as if he was not sure whether he'd done the right thing. Then Miss Laura said, Thank you, and the dog bowed and trotted away. Odder and odder, said Miss Laura, as she took the strawberries to the kitchen. The next day as she walked in the avenue, a tall and noble-minded horse came prancing to meet her, with two baskets slung by a strap across his back. One basket was filled with oranges and lemons, and the other with roses. Miss Laura lifted down the baskets and said, Thank you, to the horse, and the horse bowed and pranced away. As he went, Miss Laura noticed that his shoes were of pure shining gold. Most exceedingly odd, said Miss Laura. The next day as she walked in the avenue, a cockatoo flew down from a tree and wheeled around her. Come, sit on my hand, called Miss Laura, stretching her white arm. But the cockatoo swooped close to her hair and flew off. And when Miss Laura put her hand to her throat, she found that she was wearing a gold chain, which had certainly not been there before. This is becoming preposterous, said Miss Laura, who was beginning to guess. The next day as she walked in the avenue, a handsome and superior Siamese cat came stalking to meet her with a long-legged stride. The cat bowed and said, I hope I see you well, Miss Wellborn. How dare your master send me presents, said Miss Laura in an offended tone. Cat smiled a little at the idea of anybody being his master and said, It is the correct thing, Miss Wellborn. The correct thing when, said Miss Laura. 
When he is courting you, he is going to ask you to marry him tomorrow. I am surprised that he has the impertinence. He is surprised too. And tell him that I would sooner die than marry him. But why? He is very good-natured and strong and not a bit clever. I don't want a stupid husband, said Miss Laura. Don't you? Most ladies do. He would give you no trouble and would always do exactly as you told him. He is also extremely rich. Is he? said Miss Laura. He is rich under another name, which you have often heard. Not Mr. Daybreak, cried Miss Laura. That is the name, and the Queen is going to make him a knight. Just think, if you were Lady Daybreak, with a rich, stupid, good-natured and almost handsome husband, every lady in the world would be jealous of you. That is true, said Miss Laura thoughtfully. So shall I tell him that you would sooner die? No, murmured Miss Laura. No, I shall decide tomorrow. Then Cat bowed and said, Your servant, Miss Wellborn, and stalked away. And Miss Laura went to her room and wrote a long, long letter to Mrs. Chiffle. The next day, as she walked in the avenue, she saw a whole party coming towards her. In the air was a cockatoo with sunrise-coloured feathers. On the road was a laughing sheepdog, and an old yellow cow, and a tall strawberry horse. In the horse's saddle sat a blue-eyed cat, and a blue-eyed, long-legged young man. Midnight had sold Redknead's shoes, and bought new clothes to come courting Miss Laura, he wore high, shiny riding boots, white trousers, a blue coat with silver buttons, and a white hat. As he came near Miss Laura, he swept off his hat and bowed. You have had your hair cut, said Miss Laura. Finally. She said this in a funny voice. She hardly knew what to think of Midnight. She had remembered him as he was when he and she were seventeen. And what she saw now was a young man who could have a beard if he wanted one, and was almost handsome. Midnight slipped from the saddle and stood tall and straight in front of Miss Laura, holding his hat in his hands and blushing. He cleared his throat as if he was going to say something, but he said nothing at all. At last, Cat leaned out of the saddle where he was sitting and whispered in Midnight's ear. I hope I see you well, Miss Wellborn said Midnight, suddenly. Quite well, said Miss Laura, looking crossly at Cat. Cat whispered to Midnight again. Miss Wellborn, Miss Laura, may I call you Miss Laura? After the liberties that you have taken with my liberty, said Miss Laura, going red and speaking only to Cat, you may take what liberties you like with my name. Cat looked very pleased as he leaned over once more and whispered to Midnight. Miss Laura, said Midnight, let me take the final liberty and take away your liberty and your name, both together. 
I do not know how matters may be arranged in Siamese cat palaces, said Miss Laura, looking furiously at Cat. But that is not my idea of being married. Darn, swore Midnight, throwing his new hat bad-temperedly on the ground. It's no use, Miss Laura. I cannot talk like a lady or a cat. I came here to ask you one question. Whatever your answer may be, there are only two things that I have in mind to do. One is to marry you. The other is to go back to daybreak and never see you again. But either way, Miss Laura, I do not mean to put up with any of your disagreeableness or any of your long words or any of your darn nonsense whatever. Now, Miss Laura, will you marry me? Oh, yes, said Miss Laura in a very small voice as she gazed at him. Oh, yes, 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 darling Midnight. After that, I suppose Midnight kissed her. At any rate, he did something to her that made a letter slip from her hand and fall to the ground, where Cat read it. This is what it said. My dearest Laura, play with him. Let him feel your power. Make him wait. He will respect you all the more in the end. Ever your most affectionate, Euphemia Chiffle. On his twenty-first birthday, Midnight was married to Miss Laura. It was a very grand wedding, attended by the Governor and his lady, and Mr Justice and Mrs Pepper, besides a great many troopers and warders and other old friends. Mrs Chiffle was there, naturally, as a sort of bridesmaid. And, of course, Midnight had to have a best man to cheer him up if he got frightened. And, of course, for his best man, he chose Trooper O'Grady his best human friend. It was just as well that O'Grady was there, for when Midnight saw Miss Laura coming up the aisle to marry him, his heart gave a jump and he went weak in the legs and groaned. But O'Grady held him up and patted him on the back and said, Bear up, old chap, and he felt better. Anyone might have gone weak in the legs at the sight of Miss Laura as she walked up the aisle on her father's arm. She was all in white, and her hair was full of orange blossom from Midnight's orchard, and in her hand she carried a branch of pear blossom, on which sat Major, as beautiful as any flower. The long white train of her dress was held up by Jip and Cat, and Mrs Chiffle, in purple velvet and ostrich feathers, walked behind. When Miss Laura had taken her place beside Midnight, scattering the sweet smell of orange blossom from her hair, the clergyman opened his book and married them, with great speed and skill. There was just one happening that ought not to have happened, and I mention it because it should be a warning to all young bridegrooms who have friends like O'Grady not to choose them for their best men. Midnight had given the wedding ring to O'Grady to keep in his pocket until the moment came to put it on Miss Laura's finger. And when that moment arrived, it was discovered that O'Grady had 73 other rings in his pocket and it took them five minutes to pick out Midnight's. This was the second time that O'Grady disgraced himself. Only a little while before, when Midnight, who of course used his real name at his wedding, said, I, Percival, take thee Laura, Trooper O'Grady had giggled in church. But when they went into the vestry to write in the book, it came out that O'Grady's real name was Ignatius Loyola Murphy. So Midnight had the last laugh. 
or perhaps Cat had it. While they were in the vestry, O'Grady trod on Cat's tail, and Cat said, I should watch my feet if I were you, O'Grady, or some day you may find man-eating piranha fish in your bath. O'Grady looked preposterously astonished for a moment, and then he cried, Good grief, the ferocious Siamese confederate, and hit himself on the head with his fist. After that, O'Grady tried to make friends with Cat, and asked if Cat thought of going bush-ranging again. But Cat had spoken his last word to O'Grady. He knew that they had too much in common ever to be good friends. Soon all the guests drove away in carriages to Miss Laura's father's homestead, where there was a banquet of splendid food cooked under the orders of Mrs Chiffle, and gallons of Mr Macpherson's famous wine, which everyone except Midnight greatly enjoyed. Midnight did not drink any. Apart from his oath, he was already drunk on Miss Laura's orange blossom. Everybody made speeches, especially Miss Laura's father and the governor and Judge Pepper, and everyone cried a lot, especially Miss Laura's mother and her aunts and Mrs Chiffle. But the one who made the best speech and cried the most was Trooper O'Grady. Tears were pouring down his cheeks as he said that a wedding was a very joyful occasion and that the two things that made the world go round were love and mateship and that if ever he had had a mate for whom he had willingly die, that mate was midnight. Then he sang a noble-minded song which went like this. Yes, let me like a soldier fall upon some open plain this breast expanding for the ball to blot out every stain. Brave manly hearts confer my doom that gentler ones may tell. Howe'er forgot, unknown my tomb, I like a soldier fell. Howe'er forgot, unknown my tomb, I like a soldier fell. I like a soldier fell. Midnight was made pleased and proud by this speech, and he shook O'Grady heartily by the hand and patted him on the back to cheer him up. But he left O'Grady very miserable and blowing his nose on a new silk handkerchief which he absent-mindedly bush-ranged from Midnight's breast pocket. After saying goodbye to the guests, Midnight took Miss Laura on his arm and helped her into a small carriage drawn by Red Ned, who looked very fine in a harness covered with shiny brass. Then everyone waved, and Miss Laura threw her branch of pear blossom to Mrs Chiffle, who screamed as she caught it, and O'Grady mournfully knocked Midnight's hat off with an elastic-sided boot, and the bridal couple clip-clopped away, with Dora galumphing ahead and clanking her best cowbell. When they arrived at the house in the orchard, Dora and Jip and Cat and Major were waiting on the veranda for them, and Cat said, Midnight. Before you carry Miss Laura over the doorstep into the house, we have a present for you. Why, thank you, Cat. It is Major's present, really. He is the one who bush-ranged it. Oh, no. Have you forgotten? I've sworn an oath never to bush-range anything again. But my darling Midnight, said Miss Laura, Major has not sworn an oath. It's very wrong, said Midnight. It's almost like stealing. 
You will hurt Major's feelings, said Miss Laura. Come, Major, fly to me and show me the present. She held out her arm, and Major flew down and laid his present in her hand. It's a great big key, said Miss Laura in a puzzled voice. Then she suddenly said, Oh, and laughed. The key of what? asked Midnight. It is a present to you for your 21st birthday. It's the key of the great grey jail by the sea. Oh, good grief, Major. You'll have us all put in jail. We must give it back. No, better still, we must give it to Trooper O'Grady. He will need it sooner or later. That would not be polite to Major, said Miss Laura, and she hung the key on the gold chain that Major had put around her neck before she was married and hid it in her dress. I shall keep it, said Miss Laura thoughtfully, just in case. Then Midnight carried her over the doorstep into the house, and when they were inside he said, Laura, we shall have to go to daybreak, because I'm very poor, and you may not like it there. It's so hot, and there are so many flies, and, and no ladies to talk to. I shall like it, because you will be there. But... You must promise always to do what I tell you, and to have your hair cut when I say, and visit the dentist and change your shirt and buy new underclothes, and go to church and wash behind your ears, and not have any friends like O'Grady, and eat your crusts, and wipe your boots, and always come home at exactly the same hour, so that I shall know when to be in an agreeable mood. Such is life, cried Midnight, which was a famous saying amongst bush rangers. God! Bless us all, said Cat. Then Midnight kissed Miss Laura long and lovingly, and Captain Midnight's gang lived happily ever after. <laughs>